Hey, isn't that an awesome video? Man, we're blessed. They're already working on one right now for our next series, and I'm super duper excited to announce our next series is simply going to be called Idols. And, um, and it's basically about turning good things into God things. So you don't want to miss Idols. That begins two weeks from today. And so whether you're watching online or, or live here as well, uh, that begins two weeks from the day, idols. And there are idols in your life. There are idols in my life that uh, we may not know exist, but they are there. We're going to talk uh, through that. So we start, started this series, this Aftermath series, four weeks ago. We finished it up today. I've really enjoyed preaching this series, and it's, it's interesting that um, as I have gone down this uh, series of Aftermath, how some of the things that we are facing in our culture is, is, uh, gives us a great example of what is going on. I mean, I, I knew we had the COVID-19, and I was like, you know, the word Aftermath just kept coming up to, in my mind as I was praying about, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And, um, and this word aftermath just kept coming back and coming back. And I was like, well, I think I'm supposed to talk about aftermath. And so a, as soon as I um, made the realization that we need to go that direction, then all this racial arrest happened and all these riots. And I was like, okay, now I know why. The Lord wanted me to talk about aftermath. And so we have been in this aftermath series, and we have been, um, we've been talking about First of all, the first week we talked about what happens before the aftermath. Well, before most aftermath, there's a storm, okay? There's some big event. And, and not all aftermaths are, are, are bad. Most of them are, and most of them follow a storm in our life. And what we do in that storm will help us prepare better for that aftermath. We, we talked about that. Of course, you can watch all of this online at lakepointonline.com or our mobile app. And then the second week we talked about how... Um, the, the greatest aftermath happened whenever Jesus Christ uh, sent um, uh, the Holy Spirit, when God sent the Holy Spirit to mankind, and when that Spirit was uh, brought into the hearts uh, of men and, and women there and, uh, in Acts chapter 2, the church was born, and so you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are part of the aftermath, the greatest aftermath, the aftermath of Jesus Christ on this earth and what he did in ministry. And so the, um, the fact that you are the aftermath gives you hope in the fact that God can do great things through you. And then last week, we talked about the coming aftermath. I talked specifically to fathers, but really to parents in general, of the coming aftermath that, that we can already see signs of it happening in our culture. And to prepare our kids, the next generation, and then, and as a father, I am, I am a little bit scared at what is coming. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm a little frightened as what will my kids face. And we talked about that last week. We talked about specific things that our kids will probably face, and what are some ways we can help prepare them for the coming aftermath. Well, we've been living in some aftermaths, and, and 2020 is just, <laughs> I wouldn't expect in this for 2020. I mean, come on, 2020. I mean, you, you could do better than this, but I got some good news. 
In the words of Bon Jovi, woe, we're halfway there. <laughs> woe, we're living on a prayer. I mean, how many of y'all living on a prayer right now? I mean, so we're, we're halfway there, 2020, it's going to be okay, you know, and so maybe if you want to uh, turn some, some Bon Jovi and roll the windows down and fly down the highway and uh, just don't speed in your Harley, <clears throat> I know that for personal uh, testimony there, but, but no matter what aftermath you're going through, and, and even the aftermaths that, as a culture we're going through with COVID-19 and racial unrest and everything, there are, there are people that are feeling that aftermath different than, than the way you and I are feeling it. I mean, if, if you live in certain parts of the country where there's intense rioting going on and, and takeovers of, of cities, then you're those people are, are going to be uh, experiencing this aftermath differently. There are people who have, who have lost loved ones to COVID-19. You, there may be someone sitting here today or, or watching online. And so you and I will experience, have a different experience of those aftermaths. And so, but one thing is certain. You and I and every person on this earth who has ever lived and is going to live will face one aftermath and we will all face it together. And we will face it. When I say together, we we will all experience it, but it will be a one-on-one encounter with God Almighty. There's an aftermath that is coming. And it's so large and it's so powerful that it's going to actually affect the people who are already in the grave and the people yet born. I call this the final aftermath. But here's here's the good news about the final aftermath. The final aftermath, there will be no more after that. No more. You know, what, no, matter, no matter what aftermath you could be living, and there are different types of aftermath. There's, there's, after, there's marriage aftermaths. There's, there's health aftermaths. There are financial aftermaths. There's relationships. There's all kinds of, of aftermaths that you and I will go through. But after the final aftermath, we will not face them anymore. How do I know that? Well, it tells us in the book of Revelation. And I'm going to be jumping around in, in several passages of the Scripture. You could... You could follow along in your Bible. There's several passages of the Scripture I'm going to share with today. And um, we'll have them on the screen and also if you're watching online. But in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that, doesn't that give you hope? No more mourning, no more crying, no more death, no more aftermaths. The fi- this final aftermath we're going to talk about today is it. No more. That's why heaven is going to be so incredible. It's going to be so amazing. The old order of things, the old aftermaths will be gone. We can look forward to that glorious day of being in heaven for those who have accepted Christ as Savior. So why will we face this final aftermath? Where did it come from, and what does it look like? Well, this final aftermath is the judgment of God towards all mankind. That's the final aftermath. 
the final aftermath you and I will face, everyone, whoever lived, who's living now, and who will live, will face this final aftermath, the judgment of God towards all mankind. Every single one of us, no exceptions. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. All of us will face this judgment seat. Most people, including Christians, do not fully realize the seriousness of this verse, that we are all going to give an account to Jesus for everything, to God, for everything we have ever done down here on this earth. In front of God, the judge. Um, so how can we best understand this aftermath? What are the characteristics of the judgment seat of God? And, and, and why, why are we forced to face this aftermath? I mean, I mean, is it really fair? Is it really fair? I mean, God is a, God is a loving God. God is a fair God. I mean, why would God make everyone face this judgment seat? Well, the first characteristics of this aftermath, and the reason why it will happen is this. Number one, it is a product of our sin. This aftermath, this final aftermath, the judgment of God is a product of our sin. It's a product of Frank Bennett's sin. It's a product of your sin. How do I know? It says in Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 42, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everything that causes sin. Hmm, that would be us. Do you cause sin? I, I do. I cause sin online, watching online. Do you, do you cause sin? Yeah. You commit sin? You could very well cause others to sin? Yes? And so that would be us. We have all, every single one of us, fallen short of the glory of God so what that means is that we cannot live our lives in perfect holiness compared to the holiness of God. We can't. There's no way. You know, that's one reason God, God sent the Ten Commandments. He's like, all right, if you want to be like me, if you want to live holy, if you want to, if you want to come commune with me, just, just follow these ten things. Just, I'll just give you ten. And he put them on a stone tablet. Okay. Oh, you told, you told a lie. You committed adultery, you, you, you've coveted, you've done some of these things. Well, you, you can't even keep 10. And the reason why is because you have sin in your heart and your life. And so that's why he provided the way through animal sacrifice and then ultimately Jesus became the sacrifice. But your sin, my sin, has caused the, the, the biggest storms in our life. Now, not all of your storms are a result of, of your sin. Some of you have gone through storms 
that it wasn't anything that you did. It just happened. And, and sometimes we face those storms. But most storms in our lives, if you really break it down to the least common denominator, if you really think about it, where that could have come from, it is because of sin in our lives. There were small, small sins that led up to the storm of, of adultery. There are small sins that lead up to the storm of addiction. There are small sins that lead up to the storm of family dysfunction. After, most aftermaths are a byproduct of our sin. And so, because of that, because there are aftermaths, and people don't really connect sin, because of that, they, they play this blame game. They've, I see it on social media. They, they're, they, they're facing an aftermath, and, and that aftermath is very well could be, and, and a lot of times it is, a product of sin in their life. And so what they do is they, they, they sort of deflect it, or they tell others, well, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm gonna fight this aftermath. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through it. And then they get support from people on social media like, yeah, you do it. You can man up. You go, girl. All of these things. Now, people that are, people that are fighting some, some storms and some aftermaths um, in their life that, that come around not because of something they've done, then, then that's great that you're getting support like, there are people who, who have fought cancer. There are people in this church who have fought cancer. There are people in this church who are currently fighting cancer. You're online. You could be fighting some things. Where you're like, man, how did this, why did this land upon me? I did nothing. Yes, you're right. And so it's good to get that support. But I'm talking about things that people are fighting that is a result of sin in their life. And so we try to deflect those aftermaths. And we try to uh, bring other peoples into it. They bring attention to being the victim of the aftermath, yet don't connect the sin to the aftermath. They feel like the aftermaths are, are coming from out of nowhere to harm them. Can I tell you something? We need to stop expressing how we will withstand our aftermaths and start confessing the sins that got us there. Let me say that again. Because I want to make sure, you're watching online, you're here today, I want to make sure you understand this. We need to stop expressing how we will withstand our aftermaths. And again, I'm talking about the aftermaths that are a result of sin in our life. We need to stop expressing how we're going to withstand our aftermaths, and we need to start confessing the sins that got us there. Maybe rather than saying, yeah, I'm just going to defeat this. I'm going to work. I'm going to ride this. I'm going to tough it out. We need to fall on our knees. We need to confess to Lord Jesus, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry. I realize that this this, happening, this is happening to me is a result of the sin, my choices, and my life. Please forgive me. There needs to be more confess, confession in our life. And this right here, as we get to a little bit later in this sermon, will help prepare you better for the final 
aftermath. You know, in the final aftermath, every knee is going to bow. There's no one to blame when it's you and God the Father. The holiness of God and the light of him coming from his, his throne room. And we're standing there, and it's just no one else. We could say, hey, this person caused me or whatever. It's, it's us and God. And we are going to be labeled as, yes, the victim of sin, of the aftermath of sin. And we're also going to be named as the one accused. There's no one to blame in the final aftermath. So, we will... We will have the characteristics of sin in this great aftermath, the final aftermath. It, you, you'll, you'll trace it back to your sin, absolutely. That's what the judgment seat of God is. It's a product of your sin. This final aftermath also will be a surprised aftermath. We, people will not be ready. People will not be ready. For the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about that. They, they, it'll come as a surprise. Or people won't be ready for the day they'll, they'll die. Yeah, there are people that, that get a chance. Maybe they're fighting a, a, a terminal illness. And, and they have it because it's a slow, a painful death. They, they're able to say those goodbyes and, and prepare themselves, prepare their heart, prepare their families. You and I have most likely lost people, loved ones like that. But most of us in this world will not have a chance to prepare. Most of us will not say, you know, on this certain day, I know I'm going to die this way. And so I'm going to prepare. And I'm going to be ready. I'm not going to go to work the next few weeks or whatever. You know, I'm going to prepare. You don't get a chance to do that. It's going to catch you by surprise. Death always does. It always does. And so, this surprise aftermath, which is by death or the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that people will, um, will not know it's coming and they will be distracted by their own aftermaths on this earth. The reason why you and I will not be ready for the final aftermath is because of all the aftermaths that we are facing in our life. All of the storms, all of the aftermaths, and this is exactly what Satan is doing. Satan right now in the world, in our culture, he is causing things to happen, and, and we are not really thinking about the final aftermath. Let me ask you a question. How many times this week, sitting here or watching online, how many times this week did, did you think about the final aftermath, the throne room of God? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about that. How many times this past week did you think about Standing before God and answering for your sins. How many of you thought about this week? Well, maybe, maybe the following, uh, the previous week, or maybe sometime this month. When I asked myself that question while writing this message, I didn't think about it at all this week, except when I was writing this message. I don't think about it that much. Now, because I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm not scared because I'm bought with the blood of Jesus. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. But, but I don't think about it that much. Why? There's a lot of other things to think about. You know, 
You just, you just turn on the news or flip onto social media, and, and it's, it's pounding you. It's there. Probably, probably need to take a break from it. Would be great. But this is exactly what Satan is doing. He is throwing us off. And he is getting his focus on other things to where we don't think about the final judgment of God. It's all part of his plan. You could, it could be your earth, earthly aftermaths or things you're, you're facing, but it's causing you not to look at the final aftermath. We, we see in Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9 through 11, before I read it here in a second, in the book of Isaiah and, and several of the places in God's word, it talks about this, this coming aftermath, the, the, the final aftermath of the judgment of God that we're going to face. And so one way that you and I could be reminded is if we're in this book. Jesus talks about it a lot, the, the final judgment of God. The more we're in this book rather than this, the more we're going to be ready and prepared for the final aftermath, the judgment of God. It says this in Isaiah 13, verse 9 through 11. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for the, its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. That's God speaking through Isaiah the prophet. Now you might say, well, Isaiah, I mean, what was he smoking? I mean, really? I mean, what, why did he write that? You know, Isaiah is the same prophet that um, hmm, he, he prophesied and pretty much nailed down the birth of Jesus the crucifixion of Jesus, and how he was crucified. In fact, Isaiah goes into more detail about how Jesus was crucified than any of the Gospels. Do you realize? The Gospels don't tell us a whole lot of details of, of, of how Jesus was, was nailed to the cross and how he bore our shame. It goes into, into some, but Isaiah... He goes into more. And Isaiah lived several hundred years before Jesus Christ was even born. So I'm, I think I'm going to trust the words of Isaiah here. I, th I think I'm, I'm going to lean into him a little bit. I hope you do as well. I'm going to read this again. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and the constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will humble the pride of the ruthless. So, this final aftermath is a result. It's a product of our sin. And this final aftermath is gonna come as a surprise. We're not gonna be completely ready for it because we got all kinds of distractions. We got all kinds of shiny things to look at. Ooh, shiny, ooh, shiny. And that's exactly what 
Satan is doing. So how can we better be prepared for the final aftermath? I hope you were asking that question. Come on, Frank. Get us out of this doom and gloom. Really? I did not come to church to, to receive this. I can turn on the news and get all kinds of doom and gloom. Yes, you can. But what can you and I do, watching online, what can you do to better prepare for the aftermath? What is the hope? How can we face this? Number one, accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Surrender your sinful ways. Surrender your selfish ways to a loving Savior by inviting him to be your Lord. This involves two things. It involves you confessing and professing. Confess and profess. You confess your sin and profess Jesus as Lord. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and will just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. It involves confessing Jesus, confessing your sins. Lord, I confess my sins. I've done, I've done some wrong things. But it also means professing him as Lord. As you invite him to be Lord of your life, you profess him as Lord and Savior. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. You are my Savior. You are the Son of God, the spotless Lamb. The proof that you have confessed and professed lies in your repentance. Repentance simply means that you're turning away from the old into the new. We see this in Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, you can confess your sins all day long. You can even profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But if you don't turn your life, if you don't make that, that 180 degree turn and repent and turn away from those things, then you are not walking with Jesus, not following him. Sure, you may trip up. Sure, you may turn around and still look and gaze and then confess those sins and, and move on and continue to grow in Christ. But... It's going to take confessing, professing, and repentance, turning your life around. So accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, that is the number one way to be able to be ready for the final aftermath. Because here, here's how that will go. God's going to be, all right, let's, let's find out who you were. Let's talk about your life. I see here that you did lots of good things. It's great. But I see that, well, hold on a second. I don't, I don't, I don't really see much sin in your life. And Jesus who will be there with you, say, um, 
Father God, I got this one. I got this one. I, I shed my blood for him or for her, and they have believed in me, and so their, their, their sins aren't all on there because they're gone. They're gone. That is the number one way to be ready for the final aftermath, the judgment of God. Accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. Here's another thing that you'd be ready for. It's a big word. I've talked about it before, sanctification. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit to make us holy. It's basically the process that you and I go through after we have accepted, after we have confessed Jesus, I mean, we've confessed our sins, we profess Jesus as Savior, we are turning our life around as we walk the opposite direction of our sin, then we are slowly but surely coming, becoming more and more like Jesus in a process called sanctification. We are sanctified as we slowly but surely become like Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1. Therefore, since we have, have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Paul instructs us to work out our salvation like a muscle in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That right there is sanctification. You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, meaning that you are walking before God, before a holy God, in, in, in the light of your sin and uh, in your life, up to a holiness of God. You are, with fear and trembling, you're, ho you're humble before him, and you are on your knees before him, and, and you are asking for his holiness to come into your life. That is sanctification. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it goes on, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. As you accept Christ as Savior, as you profess him and, and as you walk with him, the Holy Spirit is inside you. And that Holy Spirit is the one that wills for you to do great things, to walk in that holiness. Trust me, you're going to want to walk with sanctification. You're going to want to be more like Christ before you face the judgment seat of God. But sanctification always has a price. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Sanctification has a cost. It has a price. If you were to go and join a football team and say, coach, I want to play. All right, here's your jersey. Here's your pads. And then you go to the game and you're on the sideline. Coach says, all right, your turn. He's like, uh, no, I don't feel like it. 
said, all right, next game. Hey, calls your number, let's go. No, I, I don't want to play. I, it's too much work. That I, you know, Coach, I would just like to be on the, just let me be on the team, I, and thank you for the jersey, and that's great. But I really, I really don't want to sweat and, you know, do all that hard stuff. Hey, can I tell you something? Living the Christian life is about hard stuff and a lot of sweat. It is. When you confess and profess, that is a one-time decision of salvation. Yes, Jesus Christ saved you, and he is faithful and just to forgive. I mean, he is faithful and just to forgive you, but he is also faithful to continue the work that he started in you through salvation. Yes. The Holy Spirit's like, come on, come on, bro. Come on, little girl, let's get going. Pick up your Bible, go to church. I know you don't want to go to church. I'm sure there are people who, I, there are probably, I know there's people in my family who felt like, okay, I don't really don't want to go to church. Probably some of my kids. Hey, but guess what? They're here, okay? You probably feel the same way. You're watching online. It's like, I don't really want to watch this, you know. But something inside you said, hey, you need to go to church. You need to go to church. That's the Holy Spirit. That is the faithfulness of God working within you. But as, as you and I confess and profess, and that's a one-time decision for salvation, we must also understand that it is a daily dying of self, taking up a cross, sanctification, we're repenting, we're, we're turning away, we're walking towards God, and it is hard stuff. But let me tell you what, you're never going to build a faith muscle unless you do hard things. What hard things are you doing before God? What hard thing is God asked you to do? For some, it's tithing. Hopefully, it's all of us. It's tithing. But maybe God's, the Spirit's talking to your heart, saying, you know, it's time for you to start you know, giving like you should, and you know, whatever. That's, that's between you and the Lord. But, but that is, that's a hard thing to do. Yes, it's difficult. You would love to have that money. You could find a whole lots of other things to do with that money than to give it to God. It's hard, okay? Living your life with purity. Students in this room, it, it, it's difficult. You are in a time in your life where you are having to live a life of purity. If you have, are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's so difficult to live a life of purity right now. I'm, I wish I could take you back before there was the internet where I, when I lived. <laughs> you know? No internet, no, no phones, no mobile phones. You know, my phone was the one that had a big cord in it and was strapped on the wall. You know, and you can go about 10 feet, and that's it. But it's difficult to live a pure life these days. Yes, but guess what? God, because you are a bought believer of Jesus Christ, if you have confessed, professed, you're repenting, you're walking in sanctification, then God is asking you to live a life of purity, and he's asking you to do hard things just like a coach, a coach on a football team, he's asking you to get out there and hit somebody. He's asking you to get out there and pound those weights 
to run those hills. He's asking you to do hard things. Why? Because that's what it's like being on a team. So I want to encourage you today. Ask yourself, what hard things has God asked me to do that I'm not doing? It's going to help you with your walk and help prepare you better for the final aftermath. You know, we, you may say, well, Frank, how, how do I know? How do I know when, when I'm growing? How do I know when all this is working? Confessing, professing, repenting, and, and walking in sanctification, and, and taking up my cross. How do I know that? Well, here's the beautiful thing about it. That God has given us signs. He's given us symbols He's given us indicators, just like the indicators on your phone. You have indicators, oh, I got an email. Oh, I got a Facebook message. I got all this stuff. Just like indicators from your phone, there are indicators in your spiritual life that you can watch for. And what, they, what are they called? They're called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. We like fruit, right? I like fruit. I like strawberries and bananas and grapes like a little bit of oranges, you know, but I love fruit. But but this kind of fruit is even better. It tastes better to the to the spiritual mouth. It tastes so good. And so, what are the fruit of the spirit? Galatians five twenty two through twenty four says, "The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance." kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So for Frank, I can't do all these things. You can if you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And you're obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit in prayer, in Bible study, in fellowship with other believers. Yes. So, accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, walking in sanctification, and the final thing that can help prepare you for the final aftermath is telling others about Jesus. After 26 years of marriage, I still love talking about my wife. I love, I love her. I talk about her. I talk, I talk, talk about to, to other people that, that people's never met her. Why? It's because I love her. I do. If we truly have invited Jesus to be Lord of our life, then we will want to tell others about him, just like I want to tell others about my wife. We will not be ashamed of him. If you don't tell others about your relationship with Jesus, then do you really love him? That's a good question, y'all. That is a really good question. If you don't tell others about Jesus, what he's done in your life, then do you really love him? And if you really don't love him, then are you truly saved? We will not be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. Luke 9, 26 is my last verse. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man, Jesus, will not, uh, will be ashamed of them when he comes in the glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. We should not be ashamed 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should not be ashamed of the name of Jesus. We've got to tell others what a great and glorious feeling to be at that, at that judgment of God. And God say, you have shared my name to so many people. People's lives were touched forever because of what you have done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, enjoy the bounty that I've created for you. We need to accept Jesus Christ as Savior. That's step number two. One, step number two, walk in sanctification. And then we need to tell others about him. That's how we prepare for the final aftermath. It's coming. Yes, we're all going to face it. So what I want to do is, in this time we have left over, the band is going to play a song, and it's simply called Waymaker. You probably heard it on the radio. It might be a really one of your favorite songs. It's really popular. I think it's like number one right now. But, but more importantly, it's about making Jesus a number one in your heart. About saying, Jesus Christ is the Waymaker. If you're watching online, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior, I would invite you to simply confess your sin to Him. I'm sorry. And then simply profess Him as Lord and Savior. Jesus, I believe you're God's Son, and I need you to be Lord of my life. And then turn away from sin and walk in sanctification, wanting to be like Him. That's what it takes. And so, as we're sitting here today, and, and, and in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, but I, want you, I really want this time to be a, 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 t- a time of, of prayer. It's okay if you want to sing, but I'd rather you do more praying than singing. And I guess you could do both. Watching online, I want you to spend this time praying and asking God to show you what hard thing is He asked you to do that you have not done yet. What area in your life have you not surrendered to Him? What area are you still walking towards sin that you need to repent and you need to walk and you need to walk in sanctification and holiness? What do you need to surrender? What do you need to give up? And maybe, maybe this, what aftermath in your life is really a result of your sin and you haven't confessed that? You haven't confessed that. You could do that here, right here, right now.